0: Okay, so I want to uh, follow up now. I want to shift. We talked about the glory of God. I want to talk about the prophetic moment that we're living through. I just want to offer to you a, couple, a, a set of things that I have very deep conviction about. Ralph has deep, Ralph Martin has deep conviction about and others do as well. But here's what we know. Scripture is very clear. Do not despise prophecy, Paul tells us, but test everything and hold on to what is good, okay? And then um, we also know in Amos the prophet, it's, is it uh, chapter three, verse eight, where it says God gives his secrets to the prophets so that the prophets can help, can help God's people see what God is doing and understand, like reading the signs of the times, hearing what the spirit is saying to the church so the people of God can cooperate with what God is doing in any you know, particular time. So those are just realities the church accepts. It's biblical, it's real, you know, but it has to be discerned. Things have to be discerned. I'll just give an example, when uh, in 1990, my lovely wife Debbie and I, we had two little kids and uh, one on the way, pretty close to being on the way. We were working with high school age kids, my wife still does that, um, and she does, look her up sometime, Debbie, Debbie Herbeck, she leads a thing called the Be Love Revolution, and it's uh, young women, Uh, like post-college women mentoring college women, college women mentoring high school girls, high school girls mentoring junior high girls, doing all kinds of outreach and camps and all kinds of amazing what they're doing. But anyway, so we were working with high school kids at the time, Debbie and I. And I knew who Ralph Martin was. I was living in Ann Arbor. I'd spent a little bit of time with him, but we weren't you know, working real closely at that time. And he said to me, he called me up and said, hey, I'm going to hear a speaker in uh, Detroit that's part of a large conference. Um, I wonder if you'd be willing to come with me. I said, sure, I'll go. So we drove down on a Tuesday morning and uh, the speaker was just before lunch. So we got there in time to hear his talk. There were about 2,000, 3,000 people in this event. It was not a Catholic, it was Protestants mostly and Pentecostals and all kinds of, we might've been the only Catholics in the room. I'm not sure, but um, anyway, he was a, a a pastor from Atlanta, I remember, uh, a black pastor from Atlanta, who was quite a good speaker. So we're listening to him, and then it was we we're going to go home for lunch, and uh, not stick around because we weren't part of the conference. So the MC gets up at, uh, after the talk and makes announcements before lunch, and then says, "Before you leave, uh, just one other thing: our, our prophetic team up here is, feel, is felt called to t- uh, prophesy to two men to pray with two men who are here today." And we're way in the back and we're like, I'm, you know, we're getting ready to go. And he and goes, those two men back there. And uh, <laughs> we didn't even pay attention. We like, it was none of our business because we weren't part of the conference. We paid for one talk, you know? Poor guys, they paid for a whole week and we got the mother load on one talk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but anyway, so a guy in front of me, you know, says, I think he's talking to you. I said, oh, like this? They go, yeah, you guys, you know, so they said, would you be willing to let our team pray with you? And I looked at Ralph and said, I can't speak for you. What do you think? And he goes, okay. So I said, okay. So they excused everybody. And then we, we came up and up front and there were about six or seven international leaders there. Um, I think I heard one, I heard of one of the people, but other than that, I didn't know anybody, the main person I definitely did not know. And uh, so they, they prayed over Ralph and I'm kind of standing there just being quiet and listening and prophesying. And they said some things that were very personal. And I thought, now, I know Ralph. and I'm not, They must have got that data download right from the Lord because what they're saying to him is something they could not know. So I thought, I'm leaving before they pray over me. You know? <laughs> don't reveal my sins. <laughs> Lord, don't do it to me right in front of all these people, okay? Don't hang my laundry out, you know? And uh, anyway, so then they prayed over me. And one person said, Son, the Lord's gonna sow you into nations around the world. He's gonna start opening doors around the world and the doors are gonna open and you should go through the open doors and not try to find the doors and open them for yourself. And then uh, a woman who was on their team said, I see battleships that are all lined up in a harbor and the battleships are all fully equipped and these battleships represent human beings who God has gifted to join you to go and God's gonna use you to send them around the world you know? And so then some other personal things were said, which I won't repeat here. <laughs> and uh, so we're driving home. And I said, Ralph, well, what, what did you think? Like we, and he said, well, I certainly felt the presence of the Holy spirit through it. Really. Number one, number two, uh, they didn't say anything that was heretical, you know, number three, um, I think the Lord wants us to pay attention to this. And I said, okay, so what is, what does that mean? He said, well, Then he quoted scripture to me. He said, you know, the scripture is clear. Don't despise prophecy, but test it. Cling to what is good. I said, okay, well, what does that look like? And he said, well, why don't we get together, you know, maybe once a week or something, and just take an hour or two to just pray and listen. And he got Sister Ann to join us because she's got an ear for the Lord, Sister Ann Shields. And So we met at her house on Wednesday mornings for a whole bunch of weeks. And then... um, We'd ask at the I'd bring my guitar, we'd play a little bit, and we'd have, we'd have some time of morning prayer and scripture, and we'd just be quiet and listen. And then I uh, would ask at the end of the prayer, anybody hearing anything? Anybody sensing anything? Any confirmation? No, no, no. Kind of week after week, there was nothing. And then, um, I don't know, maybe a couple months into it, Sister Ann one day says, yeah. She said, uh, I think you're supposed to go to Lithuania and Ukraine. I said, okay. I said like, do you know anybody there you know and she goes she goes no i don't know anybody there And she goes honestly i don't even know where it is exactly and then and then uh and then i said ralph do you know anybody there he said no i don't know anybody there And i said so what are we supposed to do with this and he said don't despise prophecy test everything and cling to what is good so we brought that into the discernment you know and then um we prayed over that over a number of weeks and then one wednesday we came together Ralph said, hey, you guys, I just got a call last night from a bishop in Lithuania. A Jesuit, a Jesuit who had run an underground Catholic newspaper uh, in, in Lithuania to send to the Vatican to inform the Vatican about the degree of persecution the church was under, the troubles the church was having. But he got turned in by a K.G. priest collaborator. And he went to the Gulag for nine years. using in the Gulag and when he got out when the wall went down in 89 Soviet Union he got released and he came back and very shortly after he got back the Holy Father made him the Archbishop the Bishop of the Cultural Center of Lithuania a place called Kaunas and so um, he finds himself he's a bishop there the church is coming out from underground there's just all kinds of needs all kinds of Lithuanian Americans and people are going over there to help them with legal stuff, business stuff, church stuff, everything under the sun, and he gathered, uh, he gathered his priests together for the first time in 51 years. The bishop was able to meet with his priests without any KGB presence at it, and, and so it was just a very dramatic time, and he said, it's time for us to re-evangelize our people, and, and many of them said, your grace, we don't know how to do what you're asking us to do, you know, they were allowed to baptize Mary and Barry in the church, all their homilies were monitored. I mean, it was just a very strict life. And they had a hard, they had a hard 50 years there with the Soviets. And uh, so anyway, um, he realized he needed help beyond what he had, resources. So he's asking around, he's two young Steubenville, these young, young, two young Lithuanians went to Steubenville one time, like a few years earlier and visited Steubenville. And he talked with them, and they were kind of on fire for the Lord. And he said, you know, I'm looking for help, and I'm looking. They said, they said we know who you could help, help you is Father Mike Scanlon and Ralph Martin. You know, call them. And so he had to figure out how to reach them. So it, Ralph ends up getting a phone call. So then six months later, he, he's in Lithuania with Father Mike. And then the next year, I'm there uh, organizing rallies for at five different dioceses across the country with the bishops from each of those dioceses. And uh, like 5,000 people ended up, ended up asking for follow-up. We set up follow-up I mean, the Spirit of God just came on that place. We're driving, this is an amazing part of the story. We're driving from the Bishop's house to the event and he was concerned to try to create an event that could reach people because there was a lot of people uh, not the grandparents or the kids but the middle age that really were most affected by Soviet formation and a lot of them Compromised, you know and just tried to make a way and they had a lot of shame and things that they didn't want to come they some of them felt really bad coming to the church and stuff like that So I said look let's not invite let's let's do an event in a in a neutral place Let's do something like in a sports hall. So we, we rented a hockey arena in, in, in the town. And uh, so we're driving there with the interpreter and through the interpreter, he's, he asked the question, he says, now, can you tell me again, what exactly happens on a day like today? What are you gonna do? You know, cause I already talked to him about it. I said, well, it's really simple. We're going to present the krigma, the basic gospel message that, you know, and we're going to pray for people who want prayer. We're gonna invite people who've been far from the church to come closer if they'd like, or if they've not been baptized, if they wanna meet the Lord, you know, whatever. And he said, you can do that, but I want to, I just want you to know something. You're in the former Soviet Union, and, um, and Lithuanians in particular will not show externally what they feel and believe in their hearts it because, um, it because of the obvious, because they couldn't do it for many, many years. And and I said, that's okay. You know, we will be gentle and we'll just preach and we'll just give people an invite if they want prayer. We'll go that way. And he said, okay, good. I want you to do it, but I didn't want you to be disappointed when they don't come up. He said like that, you know. And I said, well, we're not going to coerce anybody. We'll just make it simple. So we had some basic preaching of the gospel, the Kerygma, testimonies, young Lithuanians. Uh, I had a Lithuanian music ministry there. And at about three o'clock in the afternoon, I got up and... Um, I said, if there's anyone here today, you know, just gave an invitation. Is there's anyone here today who you really personally feel like God's touching your heart and, and you've been far away or you've been close and you'd like to come forward to receive prayer. We had 31 people from the US that came with us on their own nickel to be on prayer teams. You know, especially a bunch of Lithuanians and a, former, and a Lithuanian priest who was thrown out of the country 50 years earlier. And he came back as an old Monsignor and he was there. And so we had people paired up. And so I, I invited people. And it's the first time I had done it in a foreign country and in that kind of a situation. And the bishop was sitting right down there with the bishop from Poland. They were just looking up at me, you know. And um, and I said, you, you know, you can come forward if you'd like prayer. Our, our team is here if you like it. And no one moved. And the place, honestly, for most of the day, looked like Mount Rushmore. I don't remember if, you know, if you like, if, if like... You know, you you remember those who are older, when the wall went down in 89, you know, and there was a lot of news, you just saw the affect, uh, that part of the world, and it was all over the place, you know, and they didn't express emotionally what they were feeling internally, you know, for a lot of different reasons. And so I'm standing up there, and I remember I felt my knees shaking, you know, and uh, it's funny now when I look back, but anyway, um, I just waited, I just felt like the Lord said, just wait. Just wait, you know. Then all of a sudden, this little babushka grandma, you know, with her scarf on, like these arthritic hands, hunchback kind of. She comes shuffling up to to get prayer. Then another person, then another person. Within like 20 minutes, I'm not joking, the whole place came forward. There were 5,000 people jammed in that place. And we were going to take like a half hour to pray. We prayed for five straight hours nonstop with people. We never got the other talks in. And, and, And at a certain point, I'm standing up there, and uh, oh, one of the things that happened was all of a sudden we, I'm, I'm standing up there, and I heard the, all this prayers going on. People are all up at the stage, and they're not in their seats anymore. And I heard this like shout, like wow, wow, wow! And I looked down, and there's a 23-year-old young man who had his right eardrum blown out in Lithuania when he's standing next to a tank, uh, like six months or a year earlier or whatever. When a tank, the cannon went off and blew out his eardrum, and. Uh, a carp- an architect from Ann Arbor who came on his own nickel and, and a Lithuanian prayer partner were praying with him and the Lord restored his healing and his family was there. And they just absolutely freaked out, you know? Uh-huh. And so they told us and gave testimony to the thing. And, and, uh, and then you share that, God confirms the sign it was signs and wonders and a kind of electricity went through the place and people just start coming alive. And then at one point I looked down and the bishops were both standing there like this, <laughs> looking very bishop-like, you know? and, and uh, And so i grabbed my friend and i i said my interpreter i went down i said i said your grace i said today it was pentecost it was pentecost sunday actually pentecost saturday i think it was yeah so it's pentecost you're the apostles and here's the five thousand. i said would you would you help us he goes may i pray i said yeah absolutely you know you of all people you know and then so i put him right at the front of the stage right in the main aisle and the lineup i mean these guys was a this guy was a hero of the faith he was amazing and they had a lineup and one mostly older people but one after another they would just lay their head on his shoulder and they would cry and he would pray with them and then we heard later that night you know when we pulled together as a team we were supposed to end at six it was quarter to seven and a soviet a a, a communist guy who moved out of the country still was the owner of the building and he was flashing the lights off and on to get us out of the building And I'm up there. I said, "Okay, team, we gotta go." No one listened to me. No one would pay any attention. They're like, "We ain't leaving. We are not leaving until the Lord leaves. We're not leaving." You know, kind of thing. And I looked down at one point, and that whole the whole affect of the place had changed. People were in their hands, up their tears coming down their cheeks. People were holding each other. They were smiling. People were kneeling. It was just absolutely amazing. And then, so that night, we went back as a team and shared. And I mean, you know, there we some there were like women who came who had like double-digit abortions, the number of abortions in their life. There are people like I got displaced. We've been in Siberia. We came back, you know, 11 months ago, and someone's in our home. You know, they gave the home. The the, the Soviets gave their home away to people that collaborated with them, and all just one broke. I mean, the whole thing was so broken. It's it was unbelievable. You know what these people suffered. But now I look back and I say, you know, so that was the first one we did. And then there was a Lithuanian nun, excuse me, a Slovak nun who happened to be attending. She heard about it and she made her way. She was a nun, she became a nun during communist time. Her parents didn't even know she was a nun. And she was working with a priest, it was the same way. He was ordained and her family didn't even know he was ordained for like two years. And she came and then she talked to one of our team and ended up talking to me, Can you come to Slovakia? And I said, Is this another door that's opening? And then we went there. And then we, since that time, we've had like a thousand international missions all around the world in like 65 or 70 different countries, you know? And so we could have like blown off that prayer, you know? Or, or, but, but God uses the prophetic. And it's important for, for us to see and it's important for us to be discerning in doing that. So I just wanted to share that with you. Now, our situation, our time. Um, you know, there's two or three very famous prophecies that have come through the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. I mean, lots of prophecies have come, lots of prophecies have come true. Not everything is always perfect. But 1975 in Rome, uh, when, uh, were any of you there, by the way, when the first time this, this young movement, you know, there were, there were um, under, at that point, there's under a million people in the Charismatic Renewal, as much as they could tell in the Catholic Church in uh, 1975. And it was the first time, it was like a leaders meeting and gathering almost 10,000 people or so. And the first time they were gonna have a chance to meet with the Pope, Paul VI. So they had a meeting in St. Peter's and Pope Paul VI came and Pope Paul VI you know, took time to say, who are you? you know, he tells them who they are, he, he acknowledged the movement, this is a chance for the church, he described its strengths, he, he warned about potential pitfalls and he was just a good shepherd. you know. And uh, which was great, it was a big celebration, it was wonderful. Next day they had stuff in the St. Peter's and then they had a closing mass. And at the communion, after communion, Ralph Martin gave a prophetic word and said um, something along these lines, where the Lord said, because I love you, I wanna tell you what's coming. And what's coming is a time of great darkness is gonna come on the world. A time of great trial and difficulty and a time of great trial and difficulty which is going to lead to a time of difficulty for the church testing but a time of glory for the church and um and uh, and so that, that was kind of the, the nugget of it there's other things there and that was in 1975 and then uh father michael scanlon president of Franciscan university of steubenville in 1976 and 1980 said something very very similar and uh uh, I have a little bit of it here, I think. I'm not sure I brought it, but, um, oh yeah. He said, um, the time of, this is Father Mike, and uh, you can find this online and stuff, but, it, but again, this is not scripture. It doesn't have the authority of scripture, but it's a prophetic word that needs to be discerned. And he said, um, the time of blessing and gifts, which is amazing grace that, that has swept across the world You know, there's now like 135 million Catholics who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's like 650 million people across the world who've experienced the grace of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I mean, whether people like it or not, I mean, it's it's an incredible spiritual phenomenon. It's one of the most unbelievable. It's one of the most amazing things we know historically that's ever happened in the Christian community. You know, and I mean, I do a lot of work. We've done a lot of work in China. There's... There's 60, 80 million Christians in China and the underground, almost all of it came through uh, a, a grace of the baptism, of the Holy Spirit. It started with some, some um, both on the Catholic side and on the Protestant side. It's really astounding. Their stories, a move of the spirit, just undeniable, you know? And so he said, the time of blessing and gifts is going to lead to a time of purification and judgment, a time of purification in the church. In a time of God's judgments on the earth. And so um, I, I read those two mainly because it came out of the Charismatic Renewal. And they're probably two of the most visible elders in the history, sort of like unordained elders, like lay, lay leaders who are <coughs> greatly respected, you know, and, uh, and the prophetic words have been tested. So that's kind of one larger picture of, of you know, the words the Lord has given. So both a time of trial and difficulty is going to lead to a time of great glory for the church. And I think those, I really believe both those things. Um, Now, when I was in in 2016, I was in Uganda uh, for a a retreat that we did every two years or so for about 350 priests and bishops from five East African countries. Uh, And so at this particular one, I was, it was in June of 2016. Um, The fourth day I was there with the Archbishop of Riga, Latvia, um, who was a a guy I met in Poland. My first trip to Poland was at a a evangelization school and he was there as a delayed vocation. He was an engineer and he felt called to become a priest. And he was there and I I didn't know him at all and I was praying over him and I got to know him there a little bit and we had some contact over the years but then I noticed he'd become a priest, then he became a bishop. And so I invited him to come with us and be on our team in Uganda. He got up the first night and he said, he's in front of all these priests, bishops, cardinals, and he said, it's really wonderful to be here. And he's describing a situation. He goes, and I, it's good to be here with Peter because we were at this evangelization thing many years ago when I had, I was just thinking about to join the seminary. And he laid hand, when he laid hands on me, he prayed over me. And he said he saw a miter on my head and that he told me I was going to be a bishop. And I go, I did? <laughs> I don't, I have no recollection of that. Yeah, and and uh, when I was praying over him, you know, and then he goes, "Yes, you did," you know, and uh, I said, "Wow." But anyway, so sometimes prophecy's right on, right? Uh, so anyway, we had mass on Thursday morning. I went to mass, went to communion, came and sat down. I was feeling just very peaceful, and um, and I was praying and just thank you, the Lord, for the Eucharist and stuff. And then uh, I felt like he said the Holy Spirit was like coming and said you know, get out your journal. I always have my little spiral journals with me. And uh, and I thought he was gonna say, hey, I, I still like you, you're okay, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I like hanging out with you or something like that. And um, as soon as I took out my pen, I felt the fear of the Lord come on me. And um, and then it was almost like the Lord, you know, was, he was so strongly present in the spirit. And I felt like he said to me, um, I'm rising from my throne. You're going to see intensification of great spiritual battle across the earth. You're going to see chaos, apostasy, rage, confusion. And I'm coming to deliver my church from strongholds that are binding her. And I'm coming to empty the idols of the world before my church. So the church stops, literally, what I felt like he was saying, stops whoring after the idols of the world. I'm gonna purify her. And I'm gonna purify her for the sake of the world and for the sake of my glory. I'm gonna purify the church. So she'll, she'll be radiant with my love. She'll be, you know, alive, and she can love her neighbor radically, you know, kind of thing. And it was like crystal clear. I felt it, you know. And then um, he said a few other he said a few other things about me. And one of the things he said was. It was really clear, it was very strong. And he said, I'm the captain of the armies of heaven. I see the whole battlefield, you don't. Don't ever think you do, you know? And then I felt like he said to me, stay in your lane. You do what I've called you to do, you know? It's my church, I lead her. I will purify her, I am faithful to her, you know? And so that one went right through me. And I have to tell you, over the last, since that time, over the last few years in particular, it's been a very helpful thing to hold on to. Just, I'm staying in my lane. I'm just doing what he called me to do. I'm not solving every problem. I'm not spending my nights watching every news program and talk to every division, dot, 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 you know. So that was, that was very helpful. And so we brought it back and shared it with Sister Ann and Ralph. And um, the, uh, we discerned it and said, okay, we'll just see what happens and see what unfolds. And then in 2019, um, we were having our annual gathering. I don't know, Mary, if you were at it or not, in 2019, our annual gathering on Saturday, we're having our worship time. And um, uh, I was leading it, and then Dave Mangan and Patty Mansfield, a whole bunch of people were there that normally aren't there. They were there and they were given prophetic words and encouraging words from the stage. And I just stepped back at a certain point and the big doors for the conference hall, there. I just had a picture, like the doors were flying open and I felt like the Lord said, get ready. There's going to be a whole new prophetic flow coming out of you. I want to come out of you guys, but other people as well. It's time. You know, I felt like he said, it's time. And then um, he said, I'm also going to put you in a place. I'm going to move you, like physically move you from where you are in your office to a different place to make it, to make it possible to be even more effectively doing what you're doing. So <clears throat> anyway, so uh, after that conference, I shared that with Ralph and Anna, And now looking back, the... Certainly I think uh, a significant part of the 2016 words I felt like the Lord saying, a time of, of, of purification is coming on my church. I mean, I've never lived through a time in the church where more of its troubles are being surfaced, you know? The divisions in the church, the mistrust in the church, the deep, the deep wounds that are in the church, you know? And that the Lord wants to heal. And he can't do it, he wants to purify and heal. He can't do it if he doesn't surface it, right? And so. It's difficult. And then the, the whole culture, the, the broad battles in the culture that are going on that are very, very significant, and they're causing greater and greater stress. And so here at the beginning of COVID, what we see, I look back now, I just think to myself, thinking about things we're clinging to. I, the Hebrews chapter 12 was also in that passage, where God shakes the nations so that we, when we, we're clinging to things that are shakable, He wants us to let go so that we cling to what is unshakable, you know? and so um so that was that was an important passage an important sense of what was beginning to unfold and then and then COVID happened in january or february january february of 2020 and you think about it for a minute um just like that pretty much the whole world shut down Uh, that's just never happened i mean i you know in my lifetime it's never happened and and I remember bucking up against it because it was our 40th anniversary and we had 41 international missions planned. We were going to do the footsteps of St. Paul. We had all kinds of great stuff planned. And it was all going, choop, you know. And I felt like the Lord said this, like, um, one day in prayer. He said, Peter, the whole, the whole world does not get shut down without me signing off on it in some way. Not that he's the cause of COVID or anything like that. But he's permitted, obviously permitted it to happen for a larger purpose than just the battle against the virus itself, you know, which is a battle enough in itself. So here all of a sudden the whole world is battling death. And it was, you know, it's still with us to some degree. It was super scary for a while because of what people thought we couldn't get around it. You know, lots of people were dying very quickly. And, you know, the, the death is man's last enemy, scripture says. And it's the devil's strategy, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, says the devil's strategy to uh, enslave the human race through the fear of death. And when human beings are afraid and they're crippled by the fear of death, uh, a lot of strange things happen in us, you know? And it's a a significant battle, and we're, we're right up the whole world from facing our mortality at one time, you know? Which is really astounding when you think about it. And, uh, and then shortly after that, here in the United States, you know, out of 2019, we had this roaring economy or whatever, at least there was a strong economy happening in 2019, and just like that, it just starts to go, with, you know? And then our politics, and then shortly after that, our streets are burning, you know? And uh, I just had uh, Father, uh, Pastor James Ward, uh, just interviewed him last week, for two of our shows, he's a, a black pastor um, of a church in Skokie, and he was the pastor of the mother of the guy who got shot in in uh, seven times in his back in Kenosha. His mother was in his church, and so she had to go to do a press conference. She asked him to come along, and he he was very impressive, and he's quite a good man, and, uh, and so we ended up intersecting with him this past year, and he was kind of describing the whole story. His mom's very committed, and the guy is has faith too he's just troubled but he has faith too um so anyway so then I have friends around the world uh leaders around the world they're they're most shook up because they're watching what's happening in the United States and they're really afraid especially our friends in the former Soviet Union they're really afraid and they said you're you sound like stuff we used to get all the time here what do you what's happening you know and, and, and they said to me, you know, friends, bright leaders, you know, really significant people saying, you know, the, um, uh, you know, a lot of people around the world have a love-hate relationship with the United States, you know, because you could see its value and it's good, but also it's the big dog all around the world. You know, it's got kind of goes, things go as the big dog wants them to go. That kind of happens and people. it's not, it's hard for people to swallow, you know, but they also see in the United States a great hope you know, of what can be, especially the people in the former Soviet Union, friends of ours in Africa, friends of ours in Brazil and other places. And that really shook them. And so think about it for a minute. We're battling death. You know, our politics really for the first time, other than the Civil War, obviously, but, you know, in the first last hundred years or whatever, is shaking dramatically, you know. And our financial situation is shaking. The things people find their security in, their hope in, confidence in, and everybody's frightened because everything feels out of control, you know? And God is permitting this to happen. He's permitting it to happen. And for his church, it's really important for us to see in what way is it impacting me and why is it impacting me the way it's impacting me? You know, like, where do I find my security? Is it, because Jesus said to the apostles at the, Lord's, the last supper, he said, in this world, you're going to have, okay. Say it again. In this world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So we're facing tribulation. And for me, all the cheer went out the window, you know, when it first started in the beginning, in the beginning of the whole thing, you know. Um, And it's still a challenge. And what the Lord wants us is to purify us of our fear of things we're relying on for our security and our safety. It's not wrong to have those things. But when they're not there at the level we want them to be there or things are shaking, what does it do to my heart? He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. He said, but believe in God and believe in me. I'm leaving you and I'm going to prepare a place for you And the Father has a place for you. And I'm going to send my spirit to give you and teach you everything that I've given to you, you know, that I've said. He's gonna remind you of it so that you can live without a troubled heart. And I have to tell you, I, during 2020, like anybody, we were wrestling with this and we had, my daughter was living with us and a young woman who's in music ministry and a guy in our parish died who was loved and admired uh, from COVID and in, in, in my daughter's age friend you know his kids their age and it was very difficult but the whole thing the lockdown was so freaky when it first happened wasn't it like i'd go walk out i'd go for walks at night in ann arbor which is a buzzing town man it's a college town and it's on the go and I'd walk the streets at 11 o'clock at night and there was not a soul, there was not a car moving. There was just lights. It was like a dystopia, it felt like, you know? It was just so, but it was helpful to walk and pray and think and, cause sometimes it couldn't, sometimes it couldn't sleep very well. But I also was having battles in my own life just with um, sleep because I have sleep apnea, maybe some of you others do too, and the machines never work for me and all kinds of things. And, and so I often get up and then I'm at that age where I get up in the middle of the night. Anybody else ever get up in the middle of the night to do anything? Anybody else, just me? All right, this is a crowd that finally understands me. Young people look at me and go, what? No, I sleep through the night, man, it's no problem. You know, just wait, just wait, you know? And so sometimes because uh, the sleep thing was difficult, I would, when I was in really busy seasons, I would have a hard time falling back to sleep because I'd start thinking, I gotta get back to sleep because I got a lot to do tomorrow. I need a good night's sleep, you know? You know what happens when your mind goes and you just can't, it's the worst thing to do and you can't quite shut it off when that happens, you know? So I was battling that kind of stuff and stress. And then I just, uh, I felt early on like the Lord said, look, know, he took me back to what he, I felt like he said to me in 2016. And, um, and he said, look, now I want you to be still. There's a season here I'm, I'm, I'm going to allow to have, be still and know that I'm God. Be with me now, you know? And, and so I told Debbie, I said, honey, you know what I'm going to do? If I can't get to sleep at night, I'm just going to go in the living room and lay on the couch. So don't worry, I won't, not raptured or anything. If you turn over at night, I'm just not going to be there. I'm just going to pray. It's going to be, I'm going to be like a monk. I'm just like, it's, it's you know, middle of the night prayer. That's all it is. And leave it at that. And so I did, I'd lay down kind of night after night, that would happen. Like every single night it happened. It still happened. It happened in the hotel last night, you know, every night. And uh, and so the anxiety thing mostly just went away. And I just had some of the most amazing prayer times that I've had in a long time. And I just want to share one with you um, where one night I was laying there. And most nights it's just quiet and I pray and I pray for those I love. I just wanted to try to talk to Jesus because I I was trying to learn how to abide better. You know, because Jesus says in that same discourse, and this is something that's a takeaway for us. He said that same uh, John, John discourse at the Last Supper in John 15, he said, my father is the vine dresser and I'm the vine, you the branches. And uh, what you need to do is abide in me as a branch and draw the sustenance you need. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you won't bear fruit. And the Lord was just showing me in my own life, but also in the church. I mean, I know I work with the church in a lot of places all around the world. How much even our energy in the church is anxious fleshly energy. It's not peaceful faith that's coming from abiding. And abiding gets pushed out with all the important stuff that needs to be done. We don't have much time to abide. And he said, I'm doing this because my church, I want my church to be fruitful. She's going to be fruitful. Those who abide in me. So I I really sensed, I just kept reading that, John 13 through 17 over and over again. And I was just laying there with my hand on my chest and one night I was laying there, but most of the time it was like just quiet, nothing like wasn't, I didn't hear God every night or something like that. Some people do, I didn't. But I'm just laying there one night and then all of a sudden I had this picture, it was vivid. Almost like I was watching something on TV of like, the best way I would describe it is, it was that, Mel Gibson's movie uh, of the crucifixion of Jesus, what's that movie called? Passion of the Christ. Remember the scene, the, ca- the, the crucifixion scene? And it's rainy, and it's dark, and Mary's there. And I, and I, all of a sudden, it's like there, I was at that scene, and there's nobody else there. The Lord was there, and I walked up to the cross, and I leaned my cheek on his feet, and I just held the cross, you know? And then I looked down, and Mary was there, you know? And she's just looking at him like she didn't even notice me. She's just staring at him like this, you know? And then it was like uh, the film shifted and I was sitting right next to her. And we were both looking up at him and she's saying, isn't he beautiful? Do you see what he's done for you? Isn't he beautiful? And then it's like flipped again and she was holding him. And she was just caressing him and and just crying tears. But she was just admiring his beauty and, and stuff. And then... And then she said, to, turned to me and said, um, would you like to hold him? You know, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I would. And then I, it, it, it was just one of the, it, you know how it happens fast like that in, in these kind of moments? And I never had one this vivid or with our lady in this way ever in my life. And, and I was holding him and she had her arm on I me and she was just caressing him, you know, his head, you know. And, uh, and then the next, the next thing was, it was like he was ascending, you know? And that he was, he, was, he, send, he was going into heaven, and he was going in with all the scars and everything, and the blood and everything, and, and then he, he went into, now this is probably the, theologically not correct, but this is kind of what I felt like I saw. Like he walked in and the Father and the Holy Spirit was there, but now the Holy Spirit's not a, visible, not a physical thing, but like he was entering back into, the communion with the father and the son in human flesh. You know, like I was getting a little picture of what we were talking about earlier. And then he turned around and his eyes were flaming fire. Like it says in the book of Revelation. And and our lady said, the eye is the window to the soul. You know, his heart, his eyes are flaming fire because his heart is a fire of love. And his fire of love is a fire that wants to bestow love, but it's also a fire of purifying judgment. That's that's all through the book of Revelation and other places. And and it was just it was just an overwhelming, it happened only one time in my life, but it was just an overwhelming deal. And it was a confirmation of stuff that I felt like the Lord said, talk about this. You know, like talk about me. Talk about him, not me. Talk about him as. The, the, the Lord who's at the right hand of the Father, whose eyes are indeed a flaming fire, you know? And that God's judgments, brothers and sisters, are good, even when they come on the world. Like Isaiah 26, 9 says, when God's judgment is in the land, men learn righteousness. You know? Because he has to wake us up. Father uh, St. Bernardine of Siena um, I did some uh, reading on him because he, in, the, in 14, around 1400, 1440, he was the most uh, significant Franciscan in the world at the time. He was considered one of the, one of the greatest preachers of his time. He, he took over um, the order they had that he was responsible for. They had like 300 monks by the time he got done. Saint Bernardine of Siena. And uh, he had like 4,500 monks when he finished and he was preaching signs and wonders, but he wrote a commentary on Psalm 119, verse 126, where it says, God, it's basically saying this, God, they're no longer listening to you. It's time to act. And so he talked about God's judgments in history, and he he described them. And um, he said a couple of things that I think are pertinent to think about. He said, when God's judgments come historically, He said, they begin first with a season of his great abundant mercy, where he just sends out mercy, messages of mercy. Come, 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 come. Come in mercy, come and receive my mercy. And I was thinking about that. I had never read him till six months ago. And I thought, you just think about that. Think about like all the Marian apparitions that have happened you know, in the invitation. Think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit I was talking about earlier. And what's really at the heart of that baptism in the Spirit is a revelation from the heart of God to the heart of believer that Jesus is Lord and that we're children of God. It's an amazing act of mercy, you know? And it's been 50 years of that, across the 100 years of that, across the earth, you know? And so I said, well, that's interesting. And then he said, um, then God, he said, "What." when then he moves into the time of judgment if people don't respond, right, to him. If the nations rage against him, like Psalm 2 says, the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. He said, then God takes away the people's guides. Guides. Guides, like leaders, guides, like G-O-I-D-E-S. He said, political leaders from virtue to vice he said then even the angels over nations he draws back and when he draws back the angels over the nation saint bernardine said that's when the chaos god gives people over to what they want it's romans 1. you know you suppress the truth about god yeah and then um, paul says Paul says there are three different stages of God gave them over. He gave them over to what they want. He wants in mercy to call us out of the, we're going in the wrong direction. He's saying, come, come, come back, come back, come back, stop. You're going to hurt yourself. No, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to insist on our own way, you know? And then if we don't listen, then he has to shake the nations. He has to stop the momentum and he has to get people to wake up. And so I thought about the angel. I never really thought much about angels over nations, but I remember the angel of Portugal. Remember Fatima, the story of Fatima? The angel of Portugal came and spoke to the kids. And it was very, very interesting. Um, And he said, then the light of truth begins to draw back as well. He draws back the light of truth. And people fall into major confusion and disorder because they're relying on their own reason and their own mind, their own mind. Um, And then he said... And then he eventually allows people, if they keep pressing in, to fall into the hands of their own devices. To to experience the logical conclusion of the choices that are being made so that it will cause people to repent. And um, it's what Hebrews chapter 12 calls, you know, it says God disciplines those whom he loves. Hebrews chapter 12. He said he, he disciplines every son, every child, that he loves, right? And he said, if he, didn't, if he didn't discipline you, you'd be an orphan. You wouldn't be a child. Because he disciplines a child uh, like a father disciplines a son so that he can produce, uh, remove foolishness and produce a peaceful fruit of righteousness, says there in Hebrews, that God seeks to produce this peace, peaceful fruit of righteousness. So um, the, um, I, as I read Saint Bernardine of Siena, I felt like some of what he was describing you could, I, I think you can see in the culture and in the world. It's, it's very destabilizing time and a lot of strange leadership happening all over the place. A lot of division in the church is, is, uh, you know, is surfacing. And so um, I, wanted to sh- I just wanted to share that with you because I think what the Lord wants us to do is, is to discern his, I just offer that to you. I just offer that to you for your own discernment. And, but, it, but what he puts on your heart Pay attention to. You know, I just, we just gave a men's retreat at Christ the King with Bishop Scott McKegg from Canada. And the thing, we, we had four parts to it because we feel like this is, this is at least what we felt like we've heard about how to respond in the current situations. We had images bow down, stand up, come together, and reach out. Say it with me bow down, bow down stand, up, stand up, come together, come together and, reach out. and reach out. Okay, it's time. I mean, really what COVID was about for me and for many of us, and I know many leaders, was bow down before the holy God and just be still in his presence and let him examine your heart and in the, in the true condition of your heart. Let the loving God with his holy fire draw near, you know, and to bring, and Lord, purify our hearts. And I, you know, I had nights where I said, Lord, I'm, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that. I'm really angry at this person. I'm, you know, I, because it, it, what we've gone through and what we're going to continue to go through I think for some time it's troubling it stirs up stuff and so he wants us to bring it before him because he wants us to he wants to really produce in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit what he wants is a church that really has come to terms in in, in terms of the imperfection of the world and the struggles that are in the world and that our hearts are, are anchored with him and we aren't uh, we, we don't have troubled hearts in the midst of tribulation and difficulty. So that the, for one, re, one reason, so that we can be a better light and a better conduit of love for a world that's very broken too and doesn't have access to it. And we have to be super, super careful about not getting polarized against people. We do not have a, there's not a human being on the planet that's my enemy. Not one, not one. My enemies are demons and the devil, that's the enemy of the human race. I have disagreements with people, they have disagreements with me. But he's not my enemy, right? And Jesus said, I mean, Jesus said, you know, I thought about this many times during COVID. Peter, how many times do I have to tell you? It's really, I mean, it's easy to love those who love you. What reward is there? You know? I want to help get you to the place where you love those who hate you. And that'll only happen if the fear of death is subdued, you know? We're not clinging to the idols of safety and security and automatically, you know, getting polarized and getting my side and my way of looking at everything. But to be his and to be looking at him and to be obeying him and getting to the point where like St. Francis used to kneel before the crucifix and he'd say, God, who are you and who am I? Tell me what pleases you. That's it. You tell me, who are you, who am I? And you tell me what pleases you in the situation in my life that need to change. And you know what I mean? And I I, I clearly feel like he's been trying to get the church's attention and he's still getting the attention. And so uh, it's my opinion, it's my opinion. It's a prophetic thing I believe is going to happen, but I don't know for sure, I really don't that um, I think the, the, the stress in the nations is going to continue and it's going to intensify. The battles in the church are gonna continue and they're going to intensify. And I remember St. John Paul II said in 1976, just shortly before he became Pope, he was in Philadelphia and he spoke at the Eucharistic Congress. And uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal he said, um, "We're entering." The, he said, "It was his view. We're entering the final confrontation between the gospel, the anti-gospel, the church and the anti-church, between Christ and the antichrist." And he said, "This is a battle that lies within the plans of divine providence." And he said, "I believe that wide circles of American society don't see it." And he said, "But all of us now, all of God's people, are now called to enter into this battle." You know, and I and I think you know Sister Lucia's line from the letter she received, she gave to Cardinal Kafara to give to John Paul II. she said, our lady said to them, told her the final battle is going to be over the family, you know, uh, what's a family, what's a human being, you know? And so all the big stuff is really, I mean, we're having conversations about in the culture that are so dramatic, it can't get any more intense. I mean, it can't get any deeper, the stuff that's being addressed and the divisions that are happening on such fundamental levels and um, things that God's spoken about and God cares about. And so, um, but just as Jesus told the apostles in the Last Supper, now the most intense things, Jesus said some very hard things in the scriptures. The most intense things he said were in around the time of the Last Supper, as he got closer and closer to it. Matthew 24, he said, when the time comes, it's gonna be not only for the apostles, what they were gonna experience or what was gonna happen in Jerusalem in 70 AD, but he said, before I return, it's going to be, in so many words, read it. It's like the most intense battle in the history of humanity is gonna happen just before he returns. And the great, he will not return until the great apostasy happens, until the man of sin arises, until the antichrist arises, okay? That's going to happen. The Catholic Church teaches it. It's in the Catechism. It's in the Bible, right? The saints have all taught it. It's there. There are Antichrists that rise in history. Adolf Hitler, people like this, you know. And, and uh, but there will come a time before he returns when a great apostasy, that is people who believe in God are baptized and they walk away. And we're... Uh, I don't know if we're literally at the beginning of the end times. I don't know. I don't know that. But it sure feels like a kind of dress rehearsal to it. I mean, when you think, we, when you think about that, we have not seen in the, in the Western world, the world has not seen since Christendom, 1900 years, 1500, 1700 years, the kind of turning away from the faith that's going on right now. It's absolutely dramatic, you know? And, and confusion in the church, the Ligonier, there was a Ligonier study, this huge national study that was done uh, in 2020 um, across religions. And they asked true false questions and they had a lot of Catholics who participated, self-identified Catholics, not just, but people who said, I am an active Catholic. And they had these true false statements in them. And one of the statements said that, um, Jesus is God's um, most important creature. You know, true or false? And like 70% of Catholics said it was true, you know? I mean, they just don't know any about it. They just don't know the faith. And another one was Jesus is the most, is, is, a, uh, is the greatest moral teacher, but he was not God. 64% of self-identified Catholics said that was true. You know? I mean, you missed that, you missed everything. I mean, you did, you literally did. I mean, but for a lot of, it's what the great, his sociologist, Christian Smith from Notre Dame wrote. He said that, he said the, you can describe the faith in America as a, um, what is it? Moralistic therapeutic deism. He said, this is what it's kind of been reduced to. It's, it's about sin management and the moral law, primarily. Moralistic therapeutic. It's also all fixed on the, how I feel, my own subject. I'm, I, what's feel is real. You know, number two, moralistic, therapeutic deism. What's deism? There is a God who got it all started, the clockmaker God. He wound up the clock and he stands in the back and he's not involved at all in the world. You can't know him. You can't know him personally. You're not engaging him. He said, that's actually how people live. They may not say that's what they believe, but that's how many, many people in America live. And I think, friends, the central battle of the time is this emptiness and confusion about the Lord. And one of the things that's emerging that we have to be very, very careful about is the temptation to say, and it's big, it's all around the world, that all religions take you to God, basically. Um, And that if you get too dogmatic about your religion, you're a source of division, right? And so what you need to do, everybody needs to soften their edges and so we can have unity and we can have unity in the world and we can fix the world together. The only one who's ever going to fix the world ultimately is Christ. The world will be in upheaval, moments of glory and moments of great upheaval until he comes again. It doesn't mean we don't work to, to give the best, wisest efforts we can to, to deal with the real maladies in society and culture. But disciples know, yes, we go in, we weigh in, and we're going to give ourselves to serve our neighbor and do the best we can to make this the best place possible. But we're also not surprised, as Father Cardinal de Lubac used to say, the disciple should never be surprised when the world acts worldly. <laughs> you know? He says just that's the way it is in, a fall, in the fallen world, you know? And so... We, we, just, we just need to be in the midst of all the turbulence, do a, do, do a set of things, bow down and then stand up. Is uh, the image we had is like, you're standing before the Lord and he's giving you your assignment. He's not chewing you out. He's not giving you a hard time. He's giving you your assignment. Every one of us has been given an assignment in the Lord. We've been given unique gifts, unique time, unique place. He's like, I need you, now that I have your attention, now that you've bowed down and, and I've helped you and you've reconciled and we're moving. Now, pay attention to what I've equipped you to do. And then we need to come together. We need to support each other. There's a lot of pain in the world today, a lot of isolation, a lot of loneliness and fear and secondary, secondary realities that came from the lockdown and all the stuff that's going on that it's just hard on humanity, it's hard on us. And people need to be loved and we need to come together around the Lord and listen to him and pray and then let him deploy us. That's the fourth one, you know? So bow down, stand up, come together and reach out. And reach out. And say, I know I'm on this planet to love God and love my neighbor. The great commandment, the great commission. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and go make disciples of all nations. This, that's the, the simple summary of what Jesus came to do himself and he's calling us to do.